Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Lift it up for Pastor Terry. I was uh, that he was right about that anointing. Uh, that was really good. And uh, I, I, usually I don't like songs that I don't know. Whoa, <laughs> this time I did. <laughs> so, it knows you. <laughs> I thank you all for being here. I know there's not very many here, but I know we're all here. And my dad used to say, if you come out on Wednesday night, you're the one that keeps the church alive. <laughs> so I'm glad you're here, and I know it. I know you could be doing a lot of other things. So what we're going to do, is, the last time I did a lot of talking, I should have shut up because we were 10 minutes late. <laughs> So now I'm gonna, we're going to start with the videos. John Bevere teaches uh, the videos very well. And the last two are going to be tonight. So this is, we're not going to... Uh, yeah, next uh, Wednesday we've got the dance team that's going to be here. And uh, do you want to announce it? Two Wednesdays on victory. So Mary Esther is going to teach on victory. And I think it's going to be pretty amazing. She comes from a... A place of victory as the warrior bride and so uh, and then we should take it from there and then then after that we're going to do about four Wednesday nights on God's generals if you've never read the book on God's generals we're going to go back we're going to look at Wesley we'll look at Mariah Woodworth Edder I think and several but these are people that were not perfect but boy they got a testimony you know I was I was raised Methodist so when I when I read some of the historical journals Terry did a few years back on Wesley, I thought, man, that guy, he did deliverances. He was, you know, when he preached, they fell out of trees. They warned, had warning signs, don't get in the trees. And so, but anyway, it's going to be good. And we're going to take away some of that principle stuff on, and, the, you know, they'll look at also some of the principles of their lives that they uh, didn't always start out well. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're going to talk about John Wesley first. And, uh, he had he went to America to be a missionary. He was an Anglican priest, and nobody would listen to him. He went to the Indians, and the Indian chief said, I don't want to listen to him again. He listened to him one time. <laughs> so it wasn't a very successful trip, but he said he met some Moravians, and he, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says, boy, who's going to fill me? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they got something I don't have, so he realized that, and he got it. <laughs> We're going to talk about him and what he did and all this stuff. Okay, but tonight we're going to talk about John Bevere and Undercover. I've learned a lot uh, doing this again, and uh, I know that uh, you all have learned a lot too. It's been very, very insightful. we gotta, we got to do it right. <laughs> Undercover. Okay, go ahead, Daniel. How could a harsh or corrupt leader actually provide protection for you? How is it possible to be completely right and totally wrong at the same time? How do you respond to and overcome unfair treatment? You're about to discover some principles that can change the entire course of your life. There is nothing we have that God hasn't given. You see, God gave us grace. Submission deals with your attitude. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining. There is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty where there is liberty, provision, and protection. 
The following 12-part teaching series by John Bevere, along with study guide and a copy of John's book, Undercover, exposes the subtle yet rampant tactics the enemy uses to keep you from the promise of protection under his authority. John Bevere Ministries and Nelson Multimedia Group present Undercover. The function of a family unit is critical because it is the foundation for every other authority. In this teaching, John Bevere explains the structure that can bring lasting peace to your family and ultimately to every other relationship in Lesson 11, Odds and Ends. What I want you to do is go with me, please, to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And let me say this while you're returning. I want to first of all talk about the family. Find Ephesians and actually... Colossians, Ephesians 5 and Colossians, the third chapter. So you're in Ephesians 5 and then Colossians, the third chapter. And what we're going to do about is talk about family authority. And we see in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 23, says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Go over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, children, obey your parents in all things. Do you notice with the wives, he said, in everything and in all things, right? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, I want to make this statement. There is a divine authority structure in the home. There is the husband. There is the wife, there is the children. The husband is the head of the home, the wife is head of the children, or she and her husband both are head of the children. The wife is to submit to the husband as the church submits to Christ. Amen? That is what God said, not chauvinistic men. Can you say amen? amen. And God says that for one reason, and that is protection. Amen. Now, I want to say this. When God says all things, he means all things. And when she says to their own husbands, he means to their own husbands. A wife is not to submit to somebody else's husband. She submits to a pastor because he, over the pastoral things of the church. She submits to a civil authority because of the, uh, over civil things. She submits to her job authority over job things. But when it comes to the home, she is submitted to the husband. Amen? Now, an ex, uh, the, the only exception, and the children are the same way, the only exception is when your parents or your husband tells you to do something that is contrary to the written, written word of God. Can you say amen? amen? I had an example of that in my own personal life. When I got saved in college and filled with the Holy Spirit, God dealt with me for months about the call of God to the ministry. I didn't want anything to do with the ministry because every preacher I met was weird and his kids were weird. Or I thought you ended up in Africa in a shack and you had no shoes. So my idea of ministry was not very good. And one day the Spirit of God came on me, October of 1979, and the Spirit of God said, I was in a church of 2,000 members, the Spirit of God came on me, I started crouching down in my seat, I felt like all 2,000 people were looking at me, that's what happens when God comes on you. And, I, and the Spirit of God said to me, I have called you to preach, what are you going to do about it? And I'll never forget, I said, if I end up in Africa with a shack and no shoes, or I have a smelly house with weird kids, I don't care, I'll preach. Thank God that's not true. I learned later that that's not what his will was. Amen? But now, let me say this to you. When I came home and told my parents, they were not real happy. I was raised Roman Catholic altar boy for many years. And when I told my Catholic mom, God has called me to preach and I'm going to Bible school, she basically said over my dead body, 
Now, that changed a few, a little while later, and she just basically looked at me. She said, you go to Bible school, you are on your own. We will not cover a thing. I said, well, that's fine, but God's called me to preach. I have got to do what God has called me to do. And you know what? It's interesting. Jesus went through the same thing. The Bible says this in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 51. I'm reading out of the Amplified. It says, Jesus went down with them, his mother and father, and came into Nazareth and was habitually obedient to them. Isn't that beautiful? This is the Amplified Bible. He was habitually obedient to them. Isn't that something? But now watch. Once he went into the ministry, it came to a place they didn't like too much what he had to say. Did you realize that? And I'm going to read to you, I think this is, uh, yes, it's out of the uh, Amplified. Just listen, look up at me. This is out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Listen to this. And when those who belonged to him, his kinsmen, in other words, his family, heard it, they went out to take him by force. For they kept saying, he is out of his mind, beside himself, and deranged. That's what his family said about him. Then his mother and his brothers came standing outside. They sent word to him, calling for him. In other words, we want to talk to you, son. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brother and your sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looked around to those who sat in the circle about him. And he said, See, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the things God wills is my brother, sister, and mother. That is Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 21, 31 through 35. Now let me say this. Jesus had to obey the Father because they wanted him to do something contrary to what the Father had spoken. And with us, it's the written Word of God. Are you with me? He is the Word of God, all right? Now, the good news is this. Obviously, because of his obedience to the Father, they got straightened out because you find Mary in the upper room. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. The wonderful thing is my mom and dad were very, very upset. I didn't get invited to even some of the parties because they thought I'd preach to everybody. And um, you know what? After years went by, my mom looked at me and she said, Son, you are a changed man. Because I was a very selfish young man before I got saved, and I remembered I had the privilege, my dad was 79 just two years ago, of praying with him to receive Jesus. And so now my mom and dad, they read our books, they pass out our videos, give books to neighbors, and what's happened? They are really turned on to what God has been doing. So this is what happens when you choose to obey. God will reward you if your parents tell you to do something that is contrary to the word or your husband. Are you with me? But that is the only exception. I have said it over and over, and I'm going to keep saying it. Now, let's go back to the norm. God says in his word that if we obey our parents and honor them, that it will go well with us. Remember that? It is the first commandment with a promise, that it might go well with you and that you live a long life. Everybody say that it might go well with you. I learned that it doesn't go well with you the hard way, <clears throat> and I wish I didn't have to. However, when I graduated from college, I went to Dallas, Texas, and I worked uh, as an engineer for Rockwell International. And I remember when I went down there, the Lord led me to a very powerful church with about eight or seven, six or seven or 8,000 members. <clears throat> and I remember after being there the first night, I met the leader, uh, one of the leaders in the singles ministry. And he had just, uh, he had needed a roommate as well. And so we got to talking together at the restaurant where all the singles met after the service. You know what, you know what, what, what singles do. <clears throat> and he said, man, let's room together. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. We'll save a lot of money. So I remember calling my dad the next day. Now remember, my dad was not born again yet. And I said to my dad, Dad, I got great news. I'm going to save hundreds of dollars a month. I met a guy who's one of the leaders in the singles ministry at the church, and we're going to get an apartment together. My dad on the other end of the phone said, Son, don't do it. He said, You don't know him. I said, Dad, he's born again. He's a leader in the ministry. Come on. And I, I kind of, you know, went back and forth with my dad for several minutes, and finally I just thought, He doesn't understand. He's not saved yet. I'm praying for him. And I hung up. So I remember we went out and we got the apartment. 
And I remember when we went to get the rental truck to get his furniture, he said, oh man, I forgot my checkbook. Do you mind covering the deposit for the rental truck? I said, no problem, $150. Then I remember when we moved into the apartment, he said, I forgot my checkbook. Do you mind covering the deposit for the apartment? No problem, another $150. Then I remember the first month went by and he didn't pay the rent. I ended up paying the rent. I paid his phone bill. I paid the electric bill. The second month went by, I paid his rent, I paid his phone bill, I paid the electric bill. He didn't have a car, he borrowed my car. Many times he'd bring it back about 8 o'clock in the morning. I had to be at work at 7.30. Every morning he brought it back, and the car was filled with smoke. And I remember one morning he brought it back, and I had a huge dent on the side of my car. And the devil kept saying, walk in love, walk in love. See, the devil will really use things on a young believer if they don't understand and try to get them to do some goofy things. Are you with me? Yes, we're supposed to walk in love, but that doesn't mean you allow somebody that's living in this kind of a lifestyle. Now, he kept saying he was witnessing to people in this, but I remember one time I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom, and there's a guy sitting in my living room of my apartment with a can of beer and a cigarettes looking at me like, what are you doing here? And, you know, I was living in pure, absolute hell and torment. For, it seemed like hell. I'm sorry, I don't ever want to belittle hell. It, I was living in torment for two months. And I remember after two months, I discovered the man was a homosexual. I was one of the last persons to find out about it. It did not go well with me. When I found out he was a homosexual, I had the locks changed on the apartment and had him kicked out in 12 hours. Let me tell you something. He was shortly after found out by the youth pastor and he was immediately released from the church. But I'm going to tell you this, it did not go well with me. So I was in prayer and I said, God, how did you let this happen to me? My first two months out of college, how could I go through this two months of this? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you warn me? And the Lord said, I did warn you. I said, no, you didn't. And the Lord said, I did too. I spoke through your father. I said, what? And the Lord said, he's your father. And I said, but he's not born again, and he doesn't understand these things. He said, I never said that the heart of the king is in, the, in my hands as long as he's born again. I said, he is the authority in your life. I said, but Lord, I went to college, I graduated, I'm working as an engineer, I'm 22 years old. What do you mean? Does he still have to be the authority in my life? And the Lord spoke to me and showed me how in Genesis, the first chapter, God ordained it right from the beginning. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. The very last blessing of permission that a parent gives to his child is when he says to his child, you may marry that person. Once they marry that person, they are released, a new authority line is established. That's why God says a man shall leave his father. Because he establishes the new authority in that home. Once that man marries, now the parents are no longer an authority. They are now just to be honored. A new authority line is established. Do you see this? And God spoke to me and he said, son, I was speaking wisdom right out of your dad's mouth and you weren't listening. And I remember I saw that so clearly. You know, I really saw this in action when I asked my wife to marry me. Because I went to my wife's father and I asked her, I said, I would like the da your daughter's hand in marriage. And you know what he said? He said, I'll give you my blessing. I went back to uh, Lisa at the time and I said, great, your dad gave me his blessing. She said, what? She said, my dad doesn't like you. She said, she doesn't like any Christian. He doesn't want me, he doesn't want me around any kind of Christians. He told me at dinner he doesn't like you because you're a Christian boy. I said, well, he gave me the blessing. Because I believe that God would speak blessing and his will through her father, I, God turned his heart and he softened and he gave me that permission. It's exactly what Pastor Rob said a few minutes ago. Where is your faith in God's authority in the leaders over you? Amen. Are you with me? All right. Hallelujah. Are you enjoying this? Now, 
Children, let's move on to the children. God gives specific warnings to children, doesn't he? Let me read some of them. These are heavy hitters. Deuteronomy 27, verse 16. Cursed is the one who treats his father and mother with contempt. Whoa! Cursed is the young man or woman who treats his father and mother with contempt? Did you hear that? Young people, did you hear that? Now, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I remember I had a single mother sitting before me one day with her teenage-old son. And I remember in that meeting, that, teenage, oh, that teenager was talking to his mother, was saying, young man, don't talk to your mother like that. And he was in my youth group. And I remember at the end of the meeting, out of my mouth came something that surprised everybody in the room, including me. I looked at that young man, and I said, young man, if you keep talking to your mother like this, you're going to end up in jail. I thought, what did I just say? And I remember after leaving youth pastor, and I was launched, and I started traveling. Two years later, I came back to my home church. Well, I, I'd stayed in my home church for years afterwards. I remember being home one Sunday, and the mother of this young man came running up to me after a Sunday morning service. She said, Pastor John, Pastor John, guess what? My son's in jail. I thought, how can you be so excited? <laughs> and she reminded me of how I looked at him and said, if he didn't stop, he'd end up in jail. She said, but guess what? In jail, he's given his life radically to Jesus, and he's preaching to all the prisoners, and he's wanting more and more material because he's so radically in love with the Lord. I said, well, praise God. I'm sorry I had to go through the jail to get it, but I'm glad he's got it. Amen. Didn't go well with him. Are you seeing this? He treated his mother with, dad with contempt, or his mother with contempt, and it didn't go well. Let me read another one to you. Exodus 21, verse 15. He who strikes his father or mother should be surely put to death. Whoo! Exodus 21, verse 17. He who curses his father and mother shall surely be put to death. Aren't you glad the judgment isn't that today? Can you imagine how many young people in our youth groups are being put to death? But now here's the serious thing. I'm not talking about this church. No, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm not because you know what? This is a hungry church. But you know what? I can't believe what I see in some youth groups today. I mean, it just blows me away blows me away but here's the thing the judgment name may not be stoning him today but let me tell you the spiritual thing that happens to them the curse that comes on them is very severe because God's attitude about it has not changed folks God does not like it when children treat their parents with contempt or curse them are you with me it's very severe Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 through 21, God says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, who, when they have chastised him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice, and he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. You shall put away the evil from among you, and all of Israel shall hear and fear. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Sobering, isn't it? We need to teach our children how serious it is not to honor authority. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 5, verse 24 tells us, Wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Can you say amen? amen. Now, as I said, other men do not have authority over the wife. The husband does, correct? My wife and I, in the, the mid-1980s, fell under an, an erroneous teaching in the body of Christ. And that teaching was this, that husband and wives were equal in redemption and equal in authority. And so we lived for a couple years <clears throat> where there was no head of the home. We bought into this teaching. 
And let me tell you something, our marriage was absolutely havoc. It was terrible. It was so bad that if my wife and I didn't have a covenant with God, we would have been divorced. And I remember one day looking at my wife, and we were driving home from church, and I looked at her and I said, Honey, I am the head of this home, and I'm going to lead whether you follow me or not. And you know what? Peace started entering into my life from that point forward. But Lisa went a couple months later. She didn't think I was a very good provider. She didn't think I was responsible. And so constantly at night, she was waking me up saying, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? What are you going to do? And I kept saying, why do you keep planning for failure? I said, don't worry about it. We'll pray. God will take care of it. And she'd get upset because I'd go back to sleep and she'd lay there and keep worrying. Well, the pressure got really bad with Lisa. And listen, I'm not telling you anything that she's not said. She written, wrote it in a whole book called Out of Control and Loving It. And uh, one time she was in the shower about two months later after I made that statement to her. And she was going through the whole gamut again. She used to have to go in the bathtub and absolutely just soak herself in the bathtub to kind of try to get her mind to calm down. She was in the shower one night. And she was going through the whole thing again. And the Lord spoke to Lisa in the shower. And he said to Lisa, I, I want to read it so I don't make sure I don't mis, mis, misdo it. He said, Lisa, you don't think John is a good leader? And she said, no, I don't. I don't trust him, she said. And so Lisa, God said to her, he said, Lisa, you don't have to trust John. You only have to trust me. See, God is the one that said submit to your husband, not the husband. And if God says it, then you don't trust God. Because he's the one that said it. Amen. Good preaching. Now watch this. He said, you don't think John's doing a very good job as the head of this home. You feel you can do better. Then he said, the tension and the unrest you're experiencing is the weight and pressure of being the head of the household. He said, I've let you be the head of the household. He said, it is a yoke to you, but it's a mantle to your husband. Lay it down and the mantle will come on your husband. That's what he said to her. Well, she came out of that shower crying. I mean, for the next two hours, she couldn't stop crying. She said, forgive me, I didn't trust you, but I trust you now. God has told me to submit to you, I submit to you, you are the head of this home. And you know what, I'm gonna, I got news for you. Our marriage entered into a peace like we had never, ever, ever, ever known before. And today Lisa is traveling all over the world telling women this very thing because she found out there is bondage and rebellion, but there is liberty and submission. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Let's talk about now unreasonable husbands. 1 Peter, the third chapter, the first verse, all right? Go over there. 1 Peter, the third chapter. Now, you're going to see something very interesting here. Verse 1 says, wives, likewise. Everybody say, likewise. likewise. Now, you've got to understand something here, folks. Likewise means he's comparing it to something he just previously said. So can I read the whole thing? Remember we read verse 18, servants be submissive, not only the good and gentle, but the harsh. Let me read the whole thing to you in context. This is out of the New Living Translation. You who are slaves or employees or whatever must accept the authority of your masters. Do whatever they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are harsh. For God is pleased when you, for the sake of your conscience, you impatiently endure unfair treatment. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, even to those who refuse to accept the good news of the gospel. So what he's saying is, wives, you too, if you've got husbands that are unreasonable, keep a submitted heart. Are you with me? Why? 
Because when they observe your chaste conduct and behavior, you can win them over to the Lord. God says it is the wife's submitted attitude that is the greatest potential to win her unbelieving husband over to Jesus. Are you with me? I remember when I was in the state of Minnesota, and this woman sat down and she shared a testimony. I was staying at her house. She had a nice husband, nice two sons. And she said, you know, John, my husband wasn't saved for years. And she said, you know what I did? I put tracks by his workbench. I put Bibles on the coffee table. I put books right beside his bed. I always invited couples over where the husband was a real strong believer. She said, I would slip, you know, uh, uh, tracks in, in little places that I knew he was going to be. And she said, one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, how long are you going to hinder your husband's salvation? She said, what? And the Lord said, as long as you keep trying to manipulate him into salvation with all your little tracts and Bibles and everything else, he said, your husband's not going to come. He said, Take, get rid of all your tracts, get rid of, quit inviting people over for, for the sake of getting the husband to preach to your husband. And he said, and trust me, and just submit to your husband. And you know what she told me? She looked at me. She told me this. This was her telling me this, not him. She said, two months later, he gave his life to the Lord. And you know what? They have a wonderful marriage, and they're in love with each other. Let's go to social authority. Everybody say social authority. What are social authorities? They are your jobs, your teachers, your coaches, etc. All right? This is a category that I chose to call it. And hear what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read to you out of the Amplified Bible. It says this, Tell bondservants to be submissive to their masters, to be pleasing, and to give satisfaction in every way. Warn them not to talk back or contradict. Not to steal by taking things of small value, but to prove themselves truly loyal and entirely, entirely reliable and faithful throughout. Are you hearing this? This is the way God says we're supposed to be on the job. So that in everything they may be an ornament and do credit to the teaching which is from and about God our Savior. Now, I have sat and I have listened to bosses tell me about employees that work for him there are believers and those bosses are bragging about those employees I have listened to owners of companies say to me I have this guy in my, my, my company my plumbing company he has been the most faithful man he has been the most trustworthy man he has never cussed in nine years when cussing is all, all everybody around him is cussing he has not done this he's never stolen he's always worked and made sure he's done his job right I mean they go on and on and I just think oh thank God what a testimony that employee is literally getting the attention of the owner of that company because of his godly behavior however I have heard the opposite and it has broken my heart I remember sitting on an airplane I was sitting next to this guy and I mean man we were having a blast I mean we were having a great conversation huh he was in a good mood. I was kind of, you know, chirping in with the conversation, talking about all kinds of things. We're in the flight. You know, we're just going away, having a great time, you know, great conversation. So finally he says to me, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a preacher. I work for God. And uh, he says, <laughs> I thought, okay. Now, we had already established a good enough rapport where I could just really pry in. And I said, well, it's obvious that uh, somebody has kind of upset you uh, when it deals with ministry. And he says, you know, he says, I'll tell you. He said, I own the second largest cab company, and he named the city, of this city. And he said, I had an employee that worked for me. She, he said, he, she was one of these born-again ones, you know, that, and I said, oh, no. And uh, he said, you know, she worked for me for two months. I think it was two months. 
And he said, then she left, and she said, when she left me, now this is back in the early 90s, back when the phone bills were big overseas, okay? He said, when she left me, he said, she left me with a eight, excuse me, $8,000 phone bill to her son in Germany, and had taken some things from the office. And he said, and she was going around and preaching to everybody in our office. And I thought, oh, my, 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 my. And I thought, you know, and you know what? One man heard me talk about this, and he offered to pay the $8,000 phone bill. I'm not kidding. One of our partners heard me speak about this on the tape. So I contacted the company, and unfortunately, the man passed away a couple of years later. But I thought, what a sad testimony. Now this man won't even listen because of the lifestyle he saw from one of his employees. Listen to what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. Listen to this. Servants, obey everything. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, your bosses. Not only when their eyes are on you as pleasers of men, but in simplicity of purpose with all of your heart because of your reverence for the Lord. Everybody say reverence. reverence. Your reverence for the Lord and a sincere expression of your devotion to him. Whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men. Now, if you work your job and you're doing it for the Lord, you'll probably do a much better job than if you're doing it for your boss. But if you see the authority of God on your boss and you have the compassion of God for your boss, you'll work for him as you're working from the Lord. Because Paul goes on to say, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance, which is your real reward. The one whom you are actually serving is the Lord's Christ. Let me say this. That woman may never stand before a court for what she did on this earth, but one day she'll stand before the Lord. If she would have had the fear of God in her life, she would not have done those things. Are you with me? It's a very sobering thing. I know it's a very extreme case, but I think it makes a point. In Matthew 23, Jesus says this, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat of authority, is what he's saying. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe. That observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. Can I read it to you out of the Amplified? Look up at me. Then Jesus said to the multitudes and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat of authority. So observe and practice all they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they preach and do not practice. So in other words, Jesus said, look beyond what they're living and look at the authority on them. Isn't that interesting? Because he said they are actually seated in that seat of authority. Watchman Nee made a statement in his book called Spiritual Authority that I would like to read. He said, what a risk God has taken in instituting authority. What a loss God will incur if delegated authorities he institutes misrepresent him. Yet undaunted, God has set up these authorities. Now listen to this. It is much easier for us to fearlessly obey authorities than for God to institute them. In other words, God's taking the bigger risk, right? Right? Can we not then obey them without apprehension since God himself has not been afraid to entrust authority to men? Even as God has boldly established authorities, so let us courageously obey, obey them. If anything should be amiss, the fault does not lie with us, but with the authorities. For the Lord declares, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. The obedient needs only to obey. 
The Lord will not hold us responsible for any mistaken obedience. Rather, he will hold the delegated authority responsible for his erroneous act. Insubordination, however, is rebellion. And for this, one under authority must answer to God. Now, you know what's amazing? You know what's really amazing? Is this is written by a man who was mistreated by authorities. False charges were brought against him by the Chinese, and he was arrested in 1952, and there he stayed in prison until his death in 1972. He was mistreated by authorities, and yet he still writes a whole book called Spiritual Authority, telling how important it is for us to submit to authorities. Now, there's somebody that's living what they preach. In the final teaching coming up next, John Bevere begins to show you the tremendous rewards that result from being under the protective cover of spiritual authority. Be sure to join us for Lesson 12, Great Faith. How could a harsh or corrupt leader actually provide protection for you? How is it possible to be completely right and totally wrong at the same time? How do you respond to and overcome unfair treatment? You're about to discover some principles that can change the entire course of your life. There is nothing we have that God hasn't given. You see, God gave us grace. Submission deals with your attitude. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining. There is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty where there is liberty, provision, and protection. The following 12-part teaching series by John Bevere along with study guide and a copy of John's book, Undercover, exposes the subtle yet rampant tactics the enemy uses to keep you from the promise of protection under his authority. John Bevere Ministries and Nelson Multimedia Group present Undercover. In the concluding teaching of this powerful series, John Bevere shows you the direct connection between faith and obedience to authority and he reveals the incredible rewards that are in store for you in Lesson 12, Great Faith. In this last session, I want to deal with the great rewards that come to those who submit to God's authority, to those who are undercover. I remember when I was walking into my office one morning, it was a few years ago, I came into my office at 5.30 in the morning to pray like I had done so many mornings before, and when I stepped into my office, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me like I'm speaking to you right now. And he said, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, and read from verse 5. So I remember going over there and looking at verse 5, and I thought, you know, I've preached out of here before, but you know what? Whenever God speaks to you like that, obviously you didn't get it all. Amen? Matter of fact, we didn't get it all, period. But, you know, you just know he's going to show you something. Amen? So I read from verse 5, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now look up at me. That's a good thing to ask for, don't you think? I remember when I first got saved, I'd only been saved for about two years, and I was sleeping in my apartment in Raleigh, North Carolina, and one night in a deep, 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 deep sleep, I found myself jumping up out of the bed, and this came screaming out of my mouth. I'm just looking for someone to believe. And I turned around and looked, and there was my outline of my body covered in sweat, and I thought, wow, God just spoke to me. But I'm, this is my immaturity. I thought, Lord, couldn't it be a little bit more profound? And I remember going back to sleep, and the next morning, all I kept hearing is, I'm just looking for somebody to believe. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. What grieved Jesus more than anything else in the gospel? Not what angered him. The Pharisees angered him. What grieved him more than anything else is people not having faith. And what pleased him more than anything else in the gospel is when people simply believed that what he said he would do, he would do. 
The Bible is very clear that it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I don't know about you, but I'm in the business. I want to please God. <laughs> amen. Can you say amen? amen? Now, the apostles cry out, Lord, increase our faith. Now, you know what's amazing? It's what caused this cry for greater faith. Did Jesus just move a mountain? Did he just open up the eyes of somebody born blind? Did he just calm the sea? Did he just feed 5,000? Did he just raise somebody from the dead? No, you know what he did? He looked at him in verse 3. Look at this. In verse 3, and he says, look, look at this. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles cried out to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It wasn't the power of miracles, but when he said, walk in the character of God, that's what caused the cry to come. The apostles knew that faith and obedience were directly connected to something I was about to learn that morning. Now let's read. The apostles said to the Lord, they said, increase our faith. So Jesus responds to them. Verse 6, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, be planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Now listen up. I was familiar with that. I knew that Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. And be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Amen? And I thought, boy, this is the same thing. He's just talking about a tree now, not a mountain, but he's saying the same thing, right? So I was cool with that. I felt like I really had a handle on that. Jesus is also illustrating in this verse that faith is given to us as a seed. Everybody say seed. seed. And how many of you know you can be given a pot of seeds, but if you don't go plant them, those seeds aren't going to grow. And it's your responsibility to, make a, to plant them, right? God makes them grow, but you got to plant them. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, your face like a seed, but you better plant it and cultivate it so it grows. Amen? So that's what he's about to go on to say, because look at this, verse 7. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come in at once, sit down to eat? But will you not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you shall eat and drink. Now would you look up at me? This is where I always got baffled. I said, you know, Lord, this just doesn't make any sense. They ask about faith and you talk about having faith to move a mountain or a mulberry tree and then you go straight from that to talking about protocol of a servant. It's just like, why did you just jump over and talk about a protocol of a servant? It never made sense to me. You talk about this servant who's out there plowing the fields for his master, and the master was definitely not going to say to him when he comes in, you eat. But he's first going to say, prepare my food and make me something to eat. And I said, Lord, I just don't get it. And I remember hearing the Holy Spirit that morning speak to me. And he said, John, what is the ultimate purpose? Hiring a servant to plow your fields and tend your flocks. He said, if, if you are a master, what is your ultimate purpose for hiring that servant to plow your fields and tend your flocks? What's the ultimate goal? And I thought about it. And then I said, I know what it's for, to put food on my table so I can eat. He said, that's right. Would you have a guy out there tending your plants tending your sheep, and then have him come in and have him feed himself, and you starve to death? I said, that'd be stupid. He said, that's right. He said, that man's job is to finish it and complete it. Are you with me? So watch what he goes on to say. Verse 
9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So you notice now we're talking about obedience? Are you seeing this? Verse 10. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, look up at me. Do you see that Jesus is talking about the faithfulness of a servant to his master and completing the job, and then he turns it right around to us and says, so likewise you, when you've done those things which you've been commanded, he turns around and talks about our obedience to God. Are you seeing this? What Jesus is saying is, guys, you want to increase faith? This is how your faith increases. When you obey to completion. When you finish the job. Let me tell you something, folks. An unfinished job is just as bad as a job not started. Are you with me? Now, in saying this, he gives us three important points. Read verse 10. So likewise you, when you've done all those things commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what it, which is our duty to do. Jesus gives us three main important points here. Number one, there is a direct connection between faith and obedience to authority. Listen to me carefully. The more obedient you are, the greater your faith becomes. Number two, faith increases when we complete what we are commanded to do. Point number three, an attitude of true humility of the utmost importance to get us to finish the course. Let me try to go through all three in the short time that we have. Point number one, there is a direct connection between faith and obedience to authority. Go with me, hold your places there, and go with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew the 8th chapter. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. I think this is something that we should be familiar with. But in Matthew the 8th chapter, the 5th verse, matter of fact, let's just read it because you're going over there. Verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. That's pretty good, isn't it? Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant shall be healed. For I also, now watch this carefully, I also, everybody say, I also. In other words, he's saying that Jesus is what he is. For I also am a man under authority. Do you notice he says, under authority? Having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now watch this. When Jesus heard it, verse 10, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Do you know what's amazing? This is a Roman officer. He is a conqueror of the nation of Israel. And Jesus makes the statement, I have not found this much faith, not in John the Baptist. I haven't found this much faith in my own mother Mary. I haven't found this much faith in my 12 apostles. I haven't found this much faith in anybody that's received any miracle from me. This is the greatest faith I have encountered in my 30 years of walking this planet, is this Roman officer. Why did he have such great faith? Because the Roman officer looked at Jesus and said, I am a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. In other words, what he is saying to Jesus is this. I report to the commander of the legion. You must understand that there was a commander of the legion, a legion with 6,000 soldiers. Under that commander were 60 centurions. Each of those centurions had 100 men under him. 
That man had 100 soldiers that reported to him, but he was submitted to the commander. That man was saying, because I am submitted to my commander, therefore I have my commander's backing, and I have basically all of Rome's backing. So all I have to do is say one word, and my soldiers jump. Because I'm under authority, I have authority. Are you seeing this? And what he is saying is, he says, I also. Everybody say, I also. What he's saying to Jesus is, he says, Jesus, I recognize you are under your father's authority. And I recognize that just as I have authority in my military world because I'm submitted to the Roman authority, I recognize that you have authority in the spiritual world because you're submitted to your heavenly father's order of authority. So all you have to do is say one word and that devil has got to leave my servant just like my soldiers jump when I say one word. And Jesus marveled. He said, I have found this kind of faith in all of Israel. What gave that man that faith? It was his understanding and living in authority. That is amazing. Tie this in with what Jesus said to the disciples who desired to increase faith. He said what? He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you, right? Notice Jesus said all you had to do is speak a word, right? And the tree would obey you. Isn't that what the soldier said? Speak one word and my, what? I speak one word and my soldiers obey me. All you have to do is speak one word and that devil's got to leave my servant, right? Jesus said all you got to do is speak one word and that mulberry tree's going to obey you, right? Who does the mulberry tree obey? The one who did the things that were commanded him. Are you seeing this? These guys are asking for increased faith. Jesus said, you want increased faith? Those who do what the Father has commanded, those who are submitted to the authority of the Father, all they have to do is say one word and that mulberry tree will obey. Point number two, faith increases only when we complete what we are commanded to do. Look at the life of Abraham. Go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. In Genesis, the 22nd chapter, we read in verse 1, Now it came to pass, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Notice he let him get real close. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains that I will tell you. Now look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. The NIV version says Abraham rose early the next morning. There are people today that say, you know, the Lord's dealing with me about this for a couple months now, and they kind of laugh about it. They do not have the faith of Abraham. They do not have the fear of God that Abraham had. God gave him a three-day journey. Why did he give him a three-day journey? To give him time to think it over and turn back. God's going to give him time to really think this one through. But Abraham goes for three days. He goes up to the top of the mountain, builds the altar, ties up the sun on that altar. Now, let me say this to you. His son was more important to him than even himself. It would have been easier for Abraham to put himself on that altar. That's how important Isaac was to Abraham. Yet Abraham lifts up the knife, and he's ready to put his son to death. And watch what happens. In verse 12, the angel of the Lord comes, and he says in verse 12, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, the result of Abraham obeying to completion, look what God says to him. Look at verse 16. And said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing 
and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Watch this. Because you have obeyed me. Would you look up at me, please? God said, all these things, your, your descendants will possess the gates of their enemy. Do you know what Abraham is called in Romans chapter 4? He's called the father of faith. What was Jesus able to say years later to us? I give you the keys of the kingdom, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Why was Jesus able to say that? Because of the covenant obedience of Abraham. God said, your descendants will possess the gates of their enemy. Jesus was able to release that promise in, in his promise to us because of the obedience of Abraham. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen to this carefully. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, we read, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Everybody say, to the end. In other words, till you complete what you're told to do. That you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then he talks about Abraham. Folks, compare Abraham with Saul. Saul was told to kill the Amalekites, right? Every man, woman, and child, and the animals. He did 99% of what he was told to do. What happened to Saul? We don't have the story about Saul that we have about Abraham. Abraham obeyed to completion. Saul didn't. Do you see the difference? I said, do you see the difference? Now watch this. How many of us, like Saul, start out on fire with great enthusiasm? Then when things get uncomfortable, difficult, or results aren't as fast as expected, we di they disobey. Or others, they see an opportunity to benefit themselves while only slightly detouring from the directives of authority. All the while, they justify it with religious purposes and reasoning, as Saul did when he spared the best sheep for the sacrifice to God. They were supposed to be destroyed according to the word of the Lord. If our obedience is not complete, our faith will not increase, but rather dwindle. How many times have I seen people come into churches excited, passionate, they love the word, but yet they go from church to church to church. They don't uh, stay faithful in the position that they've been placed. They go from one position to another. They're not faithful in that position. And then I watch these people, and their life, as far as their calling and their life and their ministry, never really succeeds. Are you with me? Why? Because they've not obeyed to completion. And I have found that the greatest attack against us comes right before our harvest. I find that scripturally, and I find that has happened in my personal life. Why is that? Because the enemy doesn't want you to go up to that next level of faith. Amen? Listen to what James says. I'm going to read to you out of James chapter 2, verses 20, 20 through 24 and 26. Now, I'm going to replace what James says when he says works. I'm going to replace it with obedient actions. Just listen to this. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without obedient actions is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by obedient actions? Notice he said he was justified by his obedient actions. Notice he equates his obedient actions with his faith because the Bible very clearly says Abraham was justified by faith. Are you with me? Abraham, our father, was justified by obedient actions when he offered Isaac. In other words, obedient actions or faith are one and the same. His son on the altar. Do you see that his faith was working together with his obedient actions and by obedient actions his faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Do you see, then, that a man is justified by obedient actions? 
and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without obedience actions is also dead. So in other words, what the scripture tells us very plainly is this. Faith is not faith at all unless there's corresponding obedient actions. You can tell me you've got great faith. You can talk the word real good. You say, but I've heard the word, and I listen to the word. That's, and my faith is growing because I hear the word of God. But the Bible says if you hear it and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. You don't have faith. Faith comes when we hear the word and obey it to completion, when we're obedient even in the face of adversity. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining and everything's going great, but when we really, really grow in our faith is when all hell seems to be breaking loose and we're still walking in obedient actions because of what we've heard the word of God say. Amen. Hallelujah. If you look at the life of Abraham, it is a classic example of what happens when God tells you to do something in your life and you obey it all the way to completion. He's called the father of faith. Jesus is simply telling his disciples, if you simply do all that you're commanded to do, that's how you're going to increase your faith. And that's going to give you the authority to just say one word to that mulberry tree and it will have to leave. Are you seeing this? That is why Paul said to Timothy, those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a great boldness in the faith. Why do they obtain great boldness in faith? Because they've obeyed all the way to completion. Man, if, if we could only really grasp this. You know what I find people are constantly doing? They're running from this place to that place to this place to that place. Oh, the wave's over here. The move's over there. The teaching's over here so good. This and this and this. And they're moving, 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 moving. And you know what? They're not growing. They're getting a bunch of knowledge, but they're not growing. The Bible said those that are planted in the house of God shall flourish. Do you know what happens to a plant every time you transplant it? Its roots start dwarfing. And you know what? The roots are the part you don't see. The faith is the part you don't see. It dwarfs. And then it becomes unfruitful and it eventually dies. When God gives you something to do, you stay with it until God and God only says it's time to go. You obey to completion. Let me tell you something. When God planned, I, you know, I've been a Christian for over 20 years. I've lived in four states in those 20 years. I've been solidly a member for four different churches in those, four, in those, in those 20 years in each state I was in, that God led me to those churches. I, I really have a hard time with people jumping from church to church. Well, I don't like the way they're doing things over here. I'm leaving. Well, God's the one that told you to go. Did he tell you to leave? I'll never forget the time I did make the mistake of leaving one of those churches for two months. And I went to a friend of mine's church. And it got strange. And I remember coming back to my home church. And the moment I put my foot in the door, God spoke to me and said, I never told you to leave. I thought, wow, isn't this amazing? You told me to come here, and you never said to leave, yet I left. What an unwise decision. The third thing Jesus said, look at this, go back to, to, to Luke's gospel, chapter 17. The third thing he says, so likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what our duty, which was our duty to do. Now, do you notice the humility in that statement? We're unprofitable servants. We've only done which is our duty to do. One thing Jesus is emphasizing here is what will keep your faith strong and what will keep you on course so that you can finish the race of faith is that you maintain an attitude of humility. 
That's the way Lucifer fell. And that's why Paul comes along and says, hey, don't let it be a novice, lest you fall in the same condemnation as the devil. Listen carefully. To remain lowly in heart is to remain in position for the rewards of obedience. To pride ourselves in our own obedience. Now listen carefully to what's being said. To pride ourselves in our own obedience is to position ourselves for a fall even though we've obeyed. This can spoil everything you adhere to. You could follow the counsel or the word of God in this entire 12 lessons that I preached to you, yet lose everything by pride that you gain through obedience. If you look at the Apostle Paul in his life, you will notice that he was a man that the older he got, the more humble he became. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you will find out that he said, I am the least of all the apostles. Yet, he did more labor than any of them. But he said, it wasn't me, it was the grace of God in me. Now, he wrote that letter in 56 AD. Seven years later, or actually six years later, in 62 AD, he wrote to the Ephesians. And you know what he said to the Ephesians? He said, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach. Now he goes in the next six years from being the least of the apostles, bottom of the barrel. Remember, you know there's this false humility stuff. You know what false humility is? Saying politically the correct things. It's when you say, oh, it really wasn't me, it was the Lord. When you're really saying it, but it really was, look at me. But it's the politically correct thing to say. That's just a lie. And how many of you know you can't lie when you're writing the scripture? When Paul says, I'm bottom of the barrel of all the apostles, he meant it. Six years later, he says, I am the least of every saint in the church. You can't lie when you're writing the scripture. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? That's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. And then you know what he said right towards the end of his life in 66 C? Let me tell you something. You know when he made that statement? When he said, I am the least of all the saints? You know when he said, I am less than the least? You know, you know how far he was from his death? Five years away. If I look at him, you know, I look at Brother Summerall, how much respect I had for him. Brother Roberts, how much respect I have for him. But Brother Roberts is still with us, so let me talk about Brother Summerall. Brother Summerall went home to be with the Lord when he was 83. It'd be like Brother Summerall making that statement, I am the least of all the saints. I am less than the least when he was 78 years old. Yet I saw him as a spiritual giant, and I still see him as one. But yet Paul's opinion of himself is, I am less than the least of all the saints. And if you look at what he says right before he was beheaded, right around 65 A.D., a couple years later, when he writes his letter to Timothy, he said, Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He didn't say, I was chief. He said, I am. Yet he was the one that knew about the new creation realities. Paul never lost his attitude of humility. The thing about Moses was he was the most humble man in all the earth. Could that be why God showed him his ways? Could that be why Paul had revelation more than anybody else to the point where it even baffled Peter? Because the Bible says in Psalms 25, verse 9, the humble, God shows him his ways. God showed Moses his wisdom, what he was going to do before he did it. Why? Because he was a humble man. Humility deals with, with Christ-like character. If you look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, you know, the rich young ruler came to him in Mark chapter 10, and he said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Well, of course he's good. He's the son of God. But he doesn't boast in that characteristic. 
The only characteristic Jesus boasted in, the only characteristic he did, was he said, come and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. He boasted in his humility. Can you say amen? I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. Humility does not deal with weakness. It deals with your complete submission and your absolute knowledge that you have nothing that God hasn't given you. There is nothing we have that God hadn't given us. Lucifer lost sight of the fact that even though he was beautiful and anointed, every bit of it was given by God. He lost sight of it. Are you listening, young people? I said, are you listening? Are you getting this? Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul said, refute arguments and theories and reasonings. Everybody say reasonings. Refute arguments and theories and reasonings in every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive to the obedience. Everybody say obedience of Christ. Paul said as believers what we are to do is forsake the principle of reasoning and embrace the principle of obedience. What Eve did is she forsook the principle of obedience and she embraced the principle of reasoning. She took from a tree that looked good, but yet it was out of her own judgment. Are you with me? The reason Paul says that we are to do this, two verses later, he said, punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. What he's saying there is you will have the faith to deal with the evil forces and the acts of disobedience when your obedience is complete. Amen? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this. Remember, we started talking about a couple in the beginning of this course that got out from undercover. Remember that? By their disobedience. Let me read to you what the Song of Solomon says about those who are under his cover. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Can you say amen? amen. His fruit is sweet when you're under his cover. How many of you want to eat sweet fruit? Stay undercover. Don't get out from underneath of it. Everybody say it with me. Stay, stay. Undercover. undercover. Say this with me. I'm going to stay, stay. Undercover. undercover. Absolutely. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed the course. God bless you. If you've enjoyed this teaching series by John Bevere, send for the free catalog. Okay. <laughs> this is really good. Let me give you a story, and I got about 10 minutes to go here. Let me give you a story and ask you how you would have handled it. I, I've known a person, a woman, whose husband was not saved. She was very saved. He was, uh, and uh, the husband says, well, she does her thing, I do my thing. He was not convicted by her, even though she was a saint. What should she do to to bring her husband to, into the fold of Christianity? That's the question I'll ask you guys. What should she do? Okay, so what if he says, you go do your thing, I'll do my thing? Well, do his thing, I'm going to go to church and do what I need to do or whatever. <laughs> okay, so basically you do what God tells you to do, right? Pray, 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 and fast, fast, fast. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times the person would have something he wanted to do, and he would ask her to go with him. Now, what do y'all think of that? 
And she would not go to Wednesday night meeting because he had something going on. What, what's the answer there? <laughs> this is real stuff. I mean, it happens. Well, I think you're supposed to obviously follow the Lord, but then there's situations. I had a, my aunt, I remember growing up, and her, her husband wouldn't go, like, on a Wednesday night. They went to bed early, but she would always sit in her um, recliner close to him and read the Word. Like, that was her reading time. And eventually, five years before he passed, he came to know the Lord. But I think her, her being that in the home and say she would go to church on Sundays, but she wouldn't go during the week because he had to get up early for work and things like that. So I think it depends on the situation and how okay. honoring. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I have all the answers. <laughs> I really don't know what the solution would, is. Sometimes I just just be biblical. Go ahead. You know the story of Lee Strobel, the case for Christ. He was an atheist. I watched the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he was an atheist, yeah. and his wife started going to church, and he saw how much she improved and how happy she was. So then he started researching. Yeah, that, that, you can be a great witness to people that aren't saved. And, and, uh, but there's times that just don't, that, that just don't he may, he may, maybe he's not going against the Bible. Maybe he's just not wanting to come. Go ahead. Conversation is your lifestyle. And I think there's times that if he wants you to go with him and it's not dangerous or going to make you not be saved, you ought to go with him. Because remember, you're trying to win him. And the only way you're going to win him is to be submissive still, yeah. as long as it's not costing you your salvation. And he come and go with you. And all the while, I think he'll be feeling, you know, mm, she's going with me. So you still got to be a wife, regardless of whether he's not saved or you saved. You still got to be a wife. Yeah, these are, these are tough situations. I, I don't know that she, she is still alive, and both of them are still alive. But I don't know that anything has happened in that relationship to, that he's not come to Christ. I, I would think, like, uh, you know, where it says in Acts that the disciples told the Pharisees that, they have to obey what Christ says as opposed to what man says. So I, I would think that um, they, she would need to probably compromise some to where she would obey him sometimes, but sometimes she would go and say, well, I just can't. I can't do it today. Well, and I think that if you get the scriptures and say, well, I'm honoring God by doing this, and the scriptures say honor God. <laughs> so that's if you use the scriptures as your... Uh, and ammunition. <laughs> I think that's the way to handle it. Uh, so just, if you've got someone in your life that, you know, is, is not there, doesn't want to, he doesn't believe he, he, he wants to be here, and he doesn't want to go to church, he'd rather sit around and watch television, or if he just, he or she just doesn't do what, she's, what you do. Yeah. And if you, if he said, come, let's go to a strip bar or go and get drunk and you go with him, then you done messed up. Yeah, you, you're going because, against the word, yeah. Exactly, because he's, he's watching you and he might say, I told you you wouldn't save or whatever. And I think that would be a bummer. You yeah. don't want to do that. Yeah. You know. So remember, we're, we're the, we, have, uh, we have this people we're supposed to influence. <laughs> and those closest to us is easy, easiest to influence. Like my husband, we went on, <laughs> we're on a cruise, 
And so, you know, when I, I would take my Bible and I'd go out and sit and by the pool. And so he'd come out there one day and he says, Eddie. He went to do his slot machines. And he said, Eddie, that lady in there, every time she pulled that handle, all that money comes out. <laughs> he said, I bet if you go in there and pull that handle, we could walk out here with so much money. And I looked up at him and I said, Tony, now you know better. I said, <laughs> I, I said, I wouldn't doubt that all the money would come out the machine, but you will never know it because I'm not going in that place. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's right. You'll be tried, and, and that sounds good. You know, it's something your husband wants. <laughs> but let let us be Christians all the time, not during the week, not during. I I know I've done so many prayer ministries on people who who their parents were Christians on Sunday, but on Monday they were not, and that's more the that's more than normal. I mean, that's normal. Now let's switch gears here, Abraham. I've always loved Abraham, but what made him so strong? Why did he sacrifice Isaac? Okay, why did he trust in God? Have you, have you read before, before Abraham, what, what happened to him? Before he offered Isaac, something happened to Abraham. It wasn't, he wasn't good. <laughs> he didn't obey. He said, well, he... He said his wife was his sister. Remember that? What, uh, what I was thinking, and this, this revelation came to me, why did Abraham have the faith to do that? It's because of his failures. His failures made him strong. He knew the word of the Lord, and when the Lord said something, he did it. But he didn't do it always. He didn't, so he, he had to learn to, to do it. He grew into it, and the, his faith was great. And, and he says, well, God says kill Isaac, I'll kill Isaac. And I know you guys know this, but this, the, the Dome of the Rock is right over where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, or was going to sacrifice him. And uh, so Abraham wasn't always the giant that we think he is. He's just like us. And, and you'll go through testing. God will allow testing to go your way. He suffered, yeah, there. Jesus learned. I mean, my goodness, Jesus is God. <laughs> in, in Colossians, it talks about Jesus being God. And we all, I, I believe that. <laughs> and uh, the people that were there crucified God. <laughs> so, you know, let, it, let us all stand. It's getting time to go. Thank you all for, for being with me on this undercover. I've learned an awful lot. I hope you have. It's uh, and it's very very good and that that last lesson about humility. Oh, I'm humble. <laughs> I'm humble and I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> Is that pride coming out? <laughs> okay. All right, let's bow our heads. Oh Lord, help us all to live this life the way you want us to live it, and to put you first in all that we do. And give us, in these ticklish situations, Lord, where we really don't know which way to turn, we turn to you and ask you for your help. And help us, Lord Jesus, give us wisdom 
and, and, and so that we may reach the lost souls of this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.